0: remember it. It's about a little bird named Chippy. Chippy never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage, sending out a song into the air, and the next second he was sucked in, washed up, and blown away. The problem when his owner decided to clean his cage with a vacuum. She had stuck the nozzle in to suck up all the seeds and the feathers at the bottom of the cage, and when the nearby telephone rang, instinctively she turned to pick it up. She had barely said hello when and... Chippy was sucked in. She gasped, let the phone drop, switched out the vacuum cleaner with her heart in her mouth. She unzipped the bag. There was Chippy, alive but stunned. <laughs> Covered with heavy gray dust, she grabbed him, rushed him to the bathtub, turned on the faucet full a glass, held Chippy under the torrent of ice cold water, washing him clean. Then it dawned on her that Chippy was soaking wet and shivering. And so she did what any compassionate owner would do, and she grabbed her hairdryer and... <laughs> did Chippy survive? Yes, but he doesn't sing much anymore. <laughs> he just sits and stares a lot. And it's not hard to see why. Sucked in, washed up, blown over, it's enough to steal the song from any stout and life is like that a lot of times, isn't it? You never see it coming, but just like that, it sucks you up, washes you up, and wears you over. And Paul's going to share his heart and all that he endured in this book, and that's what makes Second Corinthians so extra special as we see him in all his transparency. <clears throat> you know, I think so often that... Other believers uh, think, or believers think, other believers have it all together in their Christian life, and certainly this is one of Satan's greatest tools of discouragement. Everybody has a better husband, a better child, a better home, a better, a better everything, and they're happy, and I'm not. But when we reflect on men, also like the great apostle Paul, it's easy to be a little discouraged if we compare ourselves to the amazing godly man that he was. Yet Paul like all of us, was just a man. Many of the people that God has used greatly throughout all of church history uh, were far from perfect. Men that we've been blessed by, that we read, that we quote from, from, and I had this quote in my message weeks ago, even though someone recently used it, by Charles Spurgeon who said, I'm the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. So as we come to our study in this semester in 2 Corinthians, we're going to see the Apostle Paul as a man who went through many times of discouragement, even despair, burdened, carrying the weight of the churches and the struggles going on, vulnerable, hurt deeply from the people he loved. We will see in our study of this chapter, uh, chapter 1 next week, verse 8, where he says that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength So that we despair even of life. Paul was so burdened for the believers in the church at Corinth that he had founded. In chapter 2 he says, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears. Not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. He just is burying his soul. In chapter 6 of this same letter, Paul makes himself so vulnerable. He asks these believers, will you just love me like I love you? In chapter 7, Paul says to them, make room for us in your hearts. We wronged no one. We corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. Paul is forced in this book to defend himself and his integrity because of his critics and the false teachers who had come into the church he had planted and were claiming that they were true apostles, and Paul was not. In this book of 2 Corinthians, we see Paul in a totally different light than any of his letters that we read. Paul pours out his heart, revealing it to all, the pain, the suffering of what he has endured. And what we will see in our study is total honesty, as Paul writes to this group of believers that he loves so dearly. This is probably one of the most overlooked books in the New Testament. And as for our Bible study, this is the start of the 29th year. And this book, I was told we did it 20-some years ago, I don't even remember. But uh, it's been a long time. So it's about time we put on our thinking caps, they will be required, and tackle this book. We've done a lot of books more than once, so I'm eager to get started in this study. God has included this book in his word for a purpose. We know all scripture is God-breathed, and it's profitable for correction, instruction, and training in righteousness. We, will all, face, we all sitting here face different struggles and issues that are going on in your life today. The Lord knows each of those, and I'm sure for each one of us, the impact of the study will be different of how the Lord uses it. What we have to understand if we're gonna accurately study and interpret this New Testament letter is the background of this church and what was going on, what happened that caused Paul to open his heart with such a vulnerable passion and why were they not loving him back? What was at the heart of the reason for Paul's many tears and disappointments? So we kinda have to go back to the background and we recently studied in this uh, Bible study, the book of Acts, and in Acts 18, Paul was on his second missionary journey at that point, and he came to the city of Corinth, a really wicked city. This is where he met, as you recall, Priscilla and her husband Aquila, uh, Jewish people who had been kicked out of where they were because they were Jews and they were tent makers like Paul, so they established a working relationship right away. And as was his custom, Paul always first went to the synagogue and tried to reason with the Jewish community that Jesus was indeed their Messiah. So that's what he did first. As a whole, they rejected Paul and his message, though the leader of the synagogue there did embrace the gospel message. But as always, Paul turned then to the Gentile community. God actually told Paul while he was there, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. So Paul settled down there and taught them for 18 months. So God brought him to this place. Obviously, he was, afraid, he was frightened for his life. And God assured him, no, you're staying here. I have a lot of people that you're going to lead to the knowledge of the truth here. And so that's what the beginning of that church. From our study in Acts, you may recall how really wicked this city was. It was on a narrow strip of land connecting northern Greece and southern Greece. And then it became a major city to avoid 250 miles of really dangerous seawater. A lot of captains put their ships on wheels and crossed on this land. And so it became quite the place. It was so connected with immorality, with all of the temple prostitutes and drunkenness and the lewdness that characterized the city that really, just to talk about Corinth, was the same as saying a drunkenness or immoral behavior to corinthianize it just coined the word of what they were known for <clears throat> so as you think about the ministry that paul had he settled down there for a year and a half teaching the word of god to those who had embraced the faith and certainly more and more were being added <clears throat> there were many who had been involved as temple prostitutes <clears throat> had immoral lifestyles who came to faith in jesus and they were part of this growing church and it was not easy for them always to break away and to, to not be impacted by the evil in their culture. That's why the first letter to, to the Corinthians, Paul has to deal with a lot of issues. He has to address their sin of their cliquish behavior, their self-centeredness. They actually had a man in the church sleeping with his stepmom that they weren't even addressing them. After he left Corinth and had that year and a half with them, he was ministering in Ephesus. And word got back to Paul then about what was going on, how there were divisions and factions and struggles. There always seemed to be people who wanted to look to somebody else other than Paul. The believers had also written a letter to Paul with a variety of questions that uh, they had about marriage and singleness. And so we know he sent the first Corinthians to them, the letter we know as first Corinthians, answering these questions as well as dealing with these sinful issues going on and trying to correct them. It was a very tough letter Paul wrote to them. When it was the immorality of the sinful pride, believers were suing one another, and misuse of spiritual gifts, lack of love for anybody, you know, just gluttonous, self-centeredness, that was just a few of the problems going on in the Corinth after he left them. So not long after his first letter, Paul learned that there was more trouble in the church centered around some men who arrived and claimed, no, we are the real apostles. And they brought false teaching. And in order to lift themselves up as the truth bearers, they had to try to destroy Paul and his credibility. And that's what they did. And they said, made all kinds of accusations against him. They had their own agenda and they were going to destroy Paul, they attacked his character, his reputation. They told everybody in the church, you know what, look at him. He said he's coming. He hasn't come. He's indecisive. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's a coward. He's weak. Have you heard him speak? I mean, always he's, he's just in it for the money. And on and on and on went their attacks against Paul. And many were listening. I mean, that was the killer part for Paul. <laughs> I was with you. I'm the one who led you to faith. I'm the one who gave you God's truth. If you've ever poured your life And your energy and your strength and your prayers into a particular person or persons trying to help them and you love them only to have them turn around and accuse you falsely of things you never said or never did you know how heartbreaking and hurtful that really is in our study of this letter we're going to see all of these accusations against paul come to light So Paul has to respond to this accusation. Once word of this got back to him, he sent one of his colleagues who they knew, Titus, um, to Corinth in order to help straighten out the mess that was going on. Titus then would meet up with Paul in Troas, report how things were going after his visit, and as Paul learned the truth of what was going on, he was filled with such sorrow and anxiety, so much so that he left an open door for ministry and sailed to Macedonia in Northern, Northern Greece, his plan was to get there. And in chapter seven of our study, we learned that Titus met with Paul with some good news that for the most part, they had listened to Titus and what he was saying, but there was still a great, and they were feeling sorrowful. Some of them were feeling really bad for how they had mistreated Paul. But there still was a pocket of those who were being, being impacted by these false apostles. Though most were favorable to Paul, it seeing Titus informed Paul that there were still some opposing him. <clears throat> now remember, these false apostles opposed him, but it's not just that they were opposing a man. It was the apostolic authority given to Paul. So Paul was giving truth directly from God. This was God's revelation through Paul. And they were teaching error, and the church was in great danger of going back to all of these sinful behaviors and, and and these attacks against Paul. It's because of this painful opposition and the church's instability that Paul writes 2 Corinthians. And he defends his ministry, and that's really what the context of the whole letter is about. So, the summary of this background of the book. The reason for this letter is that Paul is forced to defend himself, and that his ministry is even legitimate. The purpose that Paul had in writing this letter was to encourage and strengthen those who were convinced that his ministry really was valid. He also sought to win over those who opposed him who were uh, with the false apostles. I borrowed an outline that just kind of puts the book into three different sections. Paul defends the character of his ministry. That's the first seven chapters defending the character of his ministry. Chapters 7 and 8 is just a little interlude where he teaches on giving. And he deals with their giving to the poor church in Jerusalem. And then 10 through 13, Paul <laughs> defends his apostolic authority. <clears throat> it is important to keep all this in mind by answering your questions. Uh, it helps to know the context. Paul had been made an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. I, as you do your lesson this week, I mean, Paul, an apostle, set aside by Jesus Christ. Paul wasn't a self-appointed. You know, he didn't come and, hey, I'm in charge. God appointed him to be his messenger and bring the message. The people that he led to faith in Jesus became his spiritual children, and he loved them. He invested his life in them. <clears throat> it's with a broken heart and a heart of love that Paul wrote this letter, <clears throat> Excuse me. Trying to win back those who he loved and poured his life into. Much to his own dismay, he is put in this really awkward position of defending himself and his uh, and his personal integrity. Um, it's not about him. It's about the truth that he had been committed by God to bring to them. I mean, if what he said is invalid, then the message of the gospel is. In this letter, we see the heart of the Apostle Paul exposed and broken. You know what? He loved these people. And he poured his life into them. In his response to them, he will write out to us and explain about substitutionary atonement in Christ. He'll talk about the theology of death and being with Jesus after death and how light our affliction is compared to the joys that we know are to come. He deals with rewards that God is going to give to faithful followers. He speaks about being separated from unbelievers when it comes to joining in a union, to not be unequally yoked. He will also give clear explanation of what true repentance is, not just false, oh I'm sorry. He will go into extensive teaching on giving financially when we get to 7 and 8. Uh, It is in this book that we learn the truth that Paul had the thorn in the flesh. Most of us know that passage and like to uh, relate to Paul on whatever his was, whatever ours is, we find hope. But you know, Paul had unusual experiences being uniquely called as apostle after Jesus' resurrection. And he was caught up to the third heaven. You can imagine the problem and the struggle with pride if, you know, I mean, like you're having a discussion about what we should do, and Paul says, well, you know, I've been to the third heaven, any of you been there? So, I'm telling you, this is what it is. So, <clears throat> the Lord sent this thorn uh, in his flesh to keep him humble, to keep him dependent on the Lord, whether it was a physical ailment or these people here in the Uh, one way or the other. He asked God to remove that from him and God said, no, you know what, you're going to find that my strength is going to be sufficient for you to survive. Well, the answer is no. You're still going to have the thorn in the flesh. So we learn about that about Paul. (coughs) One Bible teacher put a, a great comment, I thought. He said that the greatest value of this letter is that it reveals an intimate portrait of what it means to be a devoted Christian serving Jesus Christ. In the Apostle Paul's struggles and pains and misunderstandings, we see what a real man of God looks like. And thus, he becomes a model to us, one who disciples us from the biographical pages of Scripture. So we're so blessed to be able to meet freely here. You know, none of us came here today hoping we weren't going to be gunned down when we got here. That's not the case for our brothers and sisters in the majority of the world. We have the opportunity to gather freely and study God's word. And I realize there are household chores and crisis and there's work commitments and then there's headaches on Thursday morning and then there's work at home and then there's misbehaving children and all these things come and bombard us, especially on Thursday night and Wednesday morning. Um, I challenge you to expect opposition because whenever you commit to study God's word, (laughs) Satan knows impact that will have on your life and he doesn't want you to study God's Word so he will put opposition in your way. The enemy of your soul doesn't want you to have the grace for whatever crisis you're in and you get that strength and you get that comfort and you get that hope from his Word. Therefore, as I said who put roadblocks, but I can only encourage you to stay determined to try to finish what you start even if you do have interruptions and sickness and whatever as it's been said you can listen to the messages you can get the questions you can still do them at home if you miss don't just stop and say oh i missed two weeks i'm not going to bother press on we want you to come back we have a really wonderful privilege to look inside the heart of the apostle paul you know what men and women who serve god do get discouraged if you have a desire to honor the lord That means you're going to love his people. It means you're going to be willing to serve his people. And that means you have to be vulnerable. And it will bring heartache and disappointment. The great scholar and Bible teacher who served our country during the colonial days said this, all the instruments employed by God in the uh, promotion of his work have been greatly tried. Their labors have been mingled with their tears. And they have not only suffered from their own personal share of human imperfections, but have found in the ignorance and the perverse dispositions and the unholy practices of others, their sharpest sorrows. They have been grieved by foes, but more injured by pretended friends. These are the words of Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest theological minds our country has ever produced. He served faithfully the Lord for 20 years in the church and they kicked him out for no valid reason. He took all of his skill and knowledge and went to the American Indians who were illiterate to teach them, to read and teach them God's word. Then he was called to be president of Princeton University. His family hadn't even packed up yet to join him. He got there, he took a shot in the early stages of vaccines and he he died very quickly in three weeks. So like Paul, he knew the pain that is often mixed with the joy of serving and loving people to the kingdom. However, this is what comes with any ministry, and Paul understood this by personal experience. So when he wrote this letter we call 2 Corinthians, he had been serving his Savior for over 20 years and was in the last decade of his life and ministry. How Paul handled (laughs) his hurt is important for us to see. You know what? He didn't grow bitter. He didn't say, I quit. A bunch of losers, a bunch of idiots. I'm out of here. No, that's not how he handled it. Rather, he kept presenting truth from God's word. He exposed (laughs) error for what it was, and he tried to protect believers from the false teachers, and he defended the truth of God's word. Um, This is often not the case anymore because this is not proper in our culture anymore. To be politically and religiously correct, leaders are often silent and say nothing. They don't see that their role is to protect when error is invading the Christian bookstore, the radio waves, the television shows. What we learn from this book is that when we do any service for the Lord, we can expect pain, tears, and discouragement, and disappointment from those who will hurt you. But Paul pressed on, and so must we. We also see from this book in 2 Corinthians the truth that a man of God is transparent. Like the little skit that they were trying to show. Like, there, there was no show about Paul. Everything that he was, was real. And he wasn't afraid to be real. He's not someone who refused to open his heart, or to talk about his fear, or talk about his struggle and pain. How unlike countless people today, who put up some kind of front in order to keep their pride intact. I don't want anyone to know that about me. They won't think well of me then. Paul wasn't like this. Uh, When this is the case, you know what, when you don't speak honestly, when you don't even admit your own struggles and ask for prayer and encouragement, people can't minister to you. They don't even know you have a problem going on because you've got this big, the fake (laughs) smile thing going on, like in the skit. Nobody can read your silent feelings and husbands don't. We get that right. They don't read you, <laughs> and nobody in your social circle <laughs> will read you either if you put on this facade. We will see in our study of this chapter when that Paul um, admits he's burdened beyond strength. Like I, I can't take anymore. We don't. We're not told what that was about, but only that he reached that point. He experienced fear and pressure. And the truth is, every growing believer in Jesus Christ has struggles. And the more you grow in the faith, the more you see areas of your life that are in dire need of change. I wish more believers were like Paul, free to admit with transparency their own struggles of sin. Another important truth that we see from this study in this book is that error and sin must be confronted. To do so often causes a great deal of pain. I mean, you all know that. Paul didn't ignore the sin going on in Corinth. And we, we have his letters, these first letter and the second letter. He writes them pouring out his heart. I mean, he writes them in tears and agony as he addresses the different issues and sin and, and error. He had a love for Jesus and that required that he be truthful in his work and service for the Lord and addressed error and sin. Paul cared about the people and he cared more about honoring God than avoiding a conflict. You know, a lot of people just avoid the conflict so they won't say anything. And bad things are going on, we can't just stick it under the rug. The truth of God's word must be more important to us than our own pride or hurt feelings or being rejected by people who don't like what we're saying. Paul defended himself in this letter and it was not for a personal reason but because he was an apostle, representing the truth of Jesus Christ, who entrusted him with that truth. Obviously, none of us here are apostles as Paul, but if you know Jesus, you are his representative. And that means we must stand for truth, regardless of what the result may be. We can only stand for the truth, you know what, if we have a clue what the truth is. And and hopefully that's why you're here at the study too. Grow more in your knowledge of truth. That's the whole point we have this for 29 years. To help us know the will of God, we study the word so we'll obey him. God's word and his standards are truth. They are what is right and what is wrong. And you know, our whole culture is in opposition to everything that scripture says, right and wrong. And therefore, we need the cur, as I call to speak the truth of God's word, whether it's a casual conversation at work or with a neighbor, or a friend or anybody and not be surprised by a hostile reaction because that is our culture. The most obvious shift in our culture is a total denial of what God declares to be what marriage is. I mean, he's the one who created and made it. And that's changed. Our entire culture has rationalized away murder of millions by just saying it's tissue. So what is yet coming? We will be shocked and it's coming, way more than what's come. That's the direction of our nation. So if we believe what the Bible says is truth, then we need the courage to speak the truth, even if the world around thinks you are an absolute barbaric, hateful, narrow, stupid person. So I encourage you to come back. I love chapter one, because Paul talks about all that suffering is worth, because only when you suffer will you have the experience of God's comfort. You can't go through life breezing through and never know his comfort if everything is just fine. It Requires pain and then the pain you have, you take the verses that God ministered to you and you come along some, somebody else. So there's so much great truth as we start our study, so I encourage you to come back. Let's learn together and strengthen our faith and encourage one another as we look at Paul's transparency as you take home your questions, I encourage you to decide on a time in your week. If you don't schedule it, it's not gonna happen. And maybe there's a particular place, even if you only could take 10 minutes here or 20 minutes there, and that's what you do, uh, it'll just give you the opportunity to be in the Word of God a few minutes every day as you do your lessons. And when you meet in your groups, Don't think everybody in this group knows more than you, as I said before, or has their life more together. That's just a lie from Satan. And don't let your pride keep you from speaking from your own heart. Realize the group of ladies that you're gonna be with, and when you get the call for your group, that's for the year that you're in this group. And we believe God is sovereign, and there may be people put in your group that don't rub you right. They rub you wrong, and there may be some that you have never met, some of different ages, different backgrounds. God's put, putting you together to have a ministry to one another, so don't resist that. Uh, we're all here to learn together. We all have much we can learn from one another, so I encourage those of you who are shy to speak. I encourage you, you, those of you who love to talk a lot to to silence yourself and let the more quiet speak, because quiet people won't speak if other people always speak, continue to always speak. So be sensitive to the group that you're in, and please come back. So let me pray, and then we'll get your questions to you, your first homework. <laughs> Father, I thank you for this book. I thank you for the privilege we have to come and study your word, not fearful for our life, that we have the freedom to do this. Lord, we Thank you for your word. I thank you that we can look at Paul because we relate so much to the pain that he had. I pray that we will learn from it and grow from it and be more godly because we committed to study your word. I thank you for each lady who is here, Lord. I pray you'll protect them as they go home and start their week and that you'll bring us back together to hear from your word next week. In Jesus' name.